This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones, the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. The party having arrived at Castle Trevenid were presented to Lord Conwyn by Brannock, who invited them to relay their story. After the companions had done so, Brannock presented his liege with the treasure from Vortigan's tomb. Conwyn was pleased with both the companions and Brannock, and the young lord invited them to partake in his hospitality. Conwyn's steward, Enyon, showed the companions to their rooms, after which Lena received a visit from Conwyn's wife, Lady Neve who, later we learned, had suffered a series of miscarriages. The companions joined Lord Conwyn's court for a feast, at which Valen recognised a strange guest as a spellsinger, a bard that possesses the sight. Lady Neve invited the bard, whose name was Talion, to perform for the assembled company, who were captivated by the bard's song. After the feast, whilst reflecting on the evening in her room, Lena was disturbed by a man, who seemingly was a servant bringing a gift of wine from Lady Neve. But as she turns away, thinking that the servant has left, little does she know that the man remains present in her room, and that he is in fact an assassin. Chapter 21, Part 1, Day 25, Night, Party Status, Lena, 16 out of 16 hit points, Spells available, Lena can pray for two first level miracles. The door closed, and Lena was glad to be alone once again. She stared out of the window into the black, star-filled sky. The breeze was cool and goosebumps raised on her arms, and she felt a prickling at the back of her neck. She shivered involuntarily, and her eyes were drawn to a faint glow on the battlements of the gatehouse. She could just about make out the forms of two soldiers warming themselves by a brazier. Lena remembered the intensity of his gaze. Nonetheless, she felt a little foolish to think that he might have come. But then again, what would she have done if he had? She felt confused and conflicted. Maybe it was not as she thought. Maybe it was only her that felt this way. And only a few weeks ago, she had been hopelessly in love with Merrin. Wisdom would tell her that she was being impetuous. Her thoughts turned to her former lover. She mused how the joy of love could be so easily turned to despair. But had it been love? She had thought so. But it struck her then 
in that moment that it was something else. An infatuation, certainly, but it had never been a meeting of equals. Merrin had dictated the terms, controlled everything, and she had obeyed. What she felt now, it was different. Kayla, she said softly, help me, please, guide me, for I am afraid, afraid of giving my heart again. Lady of love, give me courage. Her words dissolved into the night, leaving nothing but stillness, save the soft roar of the waves, whose turbulent waters seemed to echo the turmoil that the cleric felt inside. But all the while, malevolent eyes watched the young woman with evil intent. Well, little does Lena know that at this moment she's in mortal peril, and it's time to determine the extent of the threat. Assassin is not a class that appears in the basic expert rules, but it does appear as a subclass of the thief in advanced Dungeons and Dragons. I debated in my mind whether to use this subclass, but in the end I decided to stick with the thief, or rogue class as I am calling it. This assassin is a 6th level rogue, meaning they have 64 hit points. Let's roll those now. An 18. That is higher than the half minout, so that is what it is. The assassin will attempt to sneak up behind Lena and strangle her with a garrote. There is no mechanic for this, so if he gets close enough, I am going to have to house rule something. But I must not get ahead of myself. First off, we need to determine whether he moves silently enough for a surprise attack. Sixth level rogues have a 45% chance of moving silently. Here is the roll. 77. It would seem that the gods are indeed looking out for our cleric, although perhaps not as you might think. Lena's mind wandered to Lady Neve, and then to the old priest, Father Osbert. She recalled their conversation back in the temple in Halstone. It would seem that the brethren were growing in influence in power and more. But how? Decent folk, at any rate, would hold no quarter with their extreme ideology. And then there was the interference in the dispute between Lord Conwyn and Lord Palmyre. It made no sense. What were they trying to achieve? Suddenly, there was the sound of a floorboard creaking behind her. It shocked her into alertness. Lena spun around, just as a man, the servant, whom she had thought had left the room, threw himself towards her. Entering combat. Alright, this could go badly for Lena. She is alone, unarmoured and unarmed. This means her base armour class of 10 will apply, and unless you can find a weapon, any successful hit on her part will only deal 1d2 points of damage. Okay, let's check if she is surprised as well. A roll of 1 or 2 on a d6 means she will be. A 4. Okay, it would seem that that creaky floorboard gave her just enough warning to gather her wits. Round 1. Initiative. Lena. A 4. The Assassin. A 6. The assassin lunges forward, trying to get the garrote over the cleric's head. 
I'll make an attack roll, and if successful, I'll figure out the rest of the mechanic. The assassin gets a plus two to his attack roll, meaning he'll need to roll just an eight or more to succeed. Here is the roll. A ten. That's not good. Lena tries to duck out of the way, but in doing so, allows the assassin to slip the garrote over her head. The wire cuts into the cleric's neck, causing two points of damage. Okay, so I'm going to make the following ruling. Each round, Lena will automatically suffer 1d4 points of damage, unless she is able to free herself. In order to do this, she must make a successful minus 4 attack roll and deal at least 2 points of damage. If this happens, the assassin will be sufficiently hurt to loosen his grip. The assassin has an armor class of 11, so with the penalty, Lena will need to roll a 15 or more. Here is the roll. A 16! But can she do enough damage to get free? Here we go. A two! That's the kind of luck our cleric needs. As the assassin pulls back the grot, Lena goes with it. The back of her head smashes into the man's face. He groans as two of his teeth are knocked out. Reflex causes him to release one end of the grot to put a hand up to the wound, allowing Lena to scramble free. Round two. Initiative. Lena? A one. The assassin? Three. The savagery of the attack shocks Lena, and the assassin presses the advantage. With the hope of stealth lost, the assassin drops the garrote and draws a dagger from his boot. The edge of the blade is coated with a pale green film. Ah, you're a dead bitch, the assassin says with a hiss. He lunges forward, needing just an eight to hit. A three. The action of drawing the dagger gives Lena an edge in dodging the strike. Okay. I'm going to make a high-low roll on a d20 to see if there's anything in reach which Lena might use as a weapon. High means there is. A seven. So much for luck. Next, I'm going to make a constitution check. If she succeeds, then Lena will be able to cry an alarm. If not, the garrote has reduced her voice to a croak and she'll be left in this fight alone. Lena's constitution is 12. Here is the roll. A four. Murder! Lena cries out. Okay, I'm going to roll a d6 each for Beric, Keir, and Valen. If I roll a 1, then they will have heard Lena's cry. First up, Beric. A 3. Keir. A 5. And finally, Valen. A 1. Would you believe it? Of all the characters to hear, the dice choose Valen. Are they trying to tell me something? Okay. So I am going to rule that it will take Valen 1d4 plus 1 rounds to reach Lena's room. A 4. Oh, that's not good. It will take Valen another 5 rounds to arrive. Okay, let's resolve Lena's attack. She will need to roll an 11 or more to hit. A 10. Lena tries to punch the man, but misses as he dodges to the side. Round 3. Initiative. Lena. A 3. The assassin, a four. The assassin stabs forward again. He needs to roll a 10 or more. A 19, that's a hit for four points of damage. The cleric cries out as she oh. is stabbed in the thigh. Lena counters, needing an 11 or more. A 19, as the assassin strikes low on Lena's thigh, she brings up her knee, connecting with his face for 
two points of damage. However, the assassin's blade is coated with a deadly poison, meaning that Lena will need to pass a save versus death or die in 1d4 rounds. This is crunch time. Lena will need to roll an 11 or more to survive. Here is the roll. An 11! Oh man, that was too close. The Nine must be watching over her. As the assassin's dagger cuts through Lena's dress, it gets snagged and the poison gets wiped off the blade by the cloth, leaving the cleric unaffected by the venom, and the dagger is no longer poisoned. Round 4. Initiative. Lena. A 6. The assassin. A 3. Given Lena landed her attack last round, and because she has won the initiative, I'm going to give her a chance to grab something to use as a weapon. Firstly, let's see what might be in reach. I'm going to roll a d6. On a roll of 1 or 2, she can reach the pitcher. On a 3 to 4, she'll grab a chair. On a 5, it'll be her shield. And a 6 will be her warhammer. A 3. Next, I'm going to make a dexterity check to see whether she can grab the chair and attack in the same movement. Lena's dexterity is 10 so she will need to roll equal or less than that. A six. Lena grabs the back of the chair and spinning around swings it at her assailant. She needs an 11 or more to hit. A 12. I'm going to rule that the chair will do 1d4 points of damage. Lena causes four points of damage as the chair smashes into the man's side. <coughs> now I'm going to make a high-low roll to see whether the chair breaks. If it's high, it does. Elena will not be able to attack with it again. A 15. Bad luck, Lena. The assassin slashes again with his dagger in retaliation. But with a 7, he has been knocked off balance by Lena's blow. Round 5. Initiative. Lena. A 1. The assassin. Also a 1. All actions happen simultaneously. Lena lashes out again with her fist. A 16 for... Just one point of damage. The assassin needs a 10 or more. But with a 6, he cannot connect a blow. Round 6. Initiative. Lena. A 3. The assassin. A 6. The assassin lunges forward. A 19 for... One point of damage. He bears down on Lena, his dagger cutting her forearm. Lena's attack. She needs an 11 or more. A one! Oh no! That's a critical failure. Lena stumbles trying to avoid the assassin's blade. She grabs hold of the bedpost to stop herself from falling, but she is left exposed. The cleric will miss her next turn. Round seven. No initiative this round, given Lena's fumble. The assassin presses the advantage. He flips the dagger in his hand so that the blade points downward, and he drives forward <laughs> towards the cleric. As a reminder, with his bonus, he needs just an eight or more. A nine. Four. Three points of damage. He stabs down, and the dagger sinks into Lena's shoulder. She cries out in pain. <gasps> Round eight. At that moment, Valen bursts through the door. With Lena down to six hit points, the mage may have arrived just in time. A lot now rides on this next initiative roll. Lena and Valen. A six. The assassin. A two. The mage's interruption causes the assassin to hesitate. Firstly, 
I need to establish whether Valen has slept. If he has, then he will have forgotten all of his spells until he can recommit them to memory. I am going to make a high-low roll. If I roll high, he has already slept some. A three. Okay, it would seem that Valen's thoughts were keeping him awake also. Valen will attempt to cast Push. He needs a 16 or less for his casting roll. A 13. Now, before I work out how far the target is pushed, I'm going to make a high-low roll. If the roll is high, then the assassin is standing between Valen and the window. A 17. So he is. Okay, let's see how far the man is pushed back. Six yards. That will be more than enough to force him through the window. Having said that, I'm going to give the assassin a chance to save himself. I'm going to make a dexterity check, and if he succeeds, he will manage to grab the window frame. The assassin's dexterity is 13. He will need to roll equal or less to succeed. Here is the roll. A 17. The drop from the window to the ground is 40 feet. Now the basic expert rules state that damage from falling is 1d6 for every 10 feet, meaning the assassin will take 4d6 damage. The assassin has just 9 hit points remaining, so there is a chance he might survive. Time to find out. Rolling 4d6. 15 points of damage. As the assassin turns to face Valen, the mage unleashes his spell. An invisible force hits the man, throwing him back. His legs hit the wall below the window, and he topples backwards. His arms flail wildly, as he tries desperately in vain to grab hold of the stonework. His eyes grow wide with realisation before he plummets, screaming. There is a sickening crunch as the man hits the ground, breaking his neck and killing him instantly. Once again, that combat did not go as I thought it could. Having had a few episodes where the threat level was low, I decided it was time to up the ante. I honestly thought it might prove the end for Lena. But at the end of the day, the dice decided it was not yet her time. And in truth, I'm relieved. Whilst I'm here behind the screen, I'm going to explain a little more about the Pantheon in Legend of the Bones. You'll have heard me refer to both priests and clerics, and the two paths these holy women and men take are distinct. Priests spend the majority of their time in temples, churches and other religious buildings, providing spiritual guidance to a community. When a priest has overall responsibility for a religious building, they are known as father or mother. Otherwise, they are known as brother or sister. Clerics, on the other hand, spend the majority of their time away from religious centres, spreading the word, acting as missionaries, or performing deeds in the service of their gods. Clerics are always known as brother or sister. I have mentioned before that priests and clerics of the Nine pray to the different gods depending on the situation. For example, to interrogate Redwald, Lena called upon the goddess Mithra, the truth seeker. Her sphere is knowledge, wisdom and justice. Similarly, when the cleric needed guidance in matters of the heart, she prayed to Kayla, the goddess of love, emotions and humanity, although in that case she was not asking for a miracle. At various points I have also mentioned the old ways, which is less a religion but more folk belief connected with the natural and dare I say supernatural world. It focuses on the power of natural places, spirits, fey creatures and magic. This aspect of belief is central to the culture of Valen's homeland, Hranris, and as such, his people, the Wailer, 
are considered pagans by cultures that revere the Nine. As the religion of the Nine began its rise to prominence around 800 years ago, it marked these old ways as heretical and mages with it. So far, I have only mentioned one non-human deity, Vagrun, the Worldsmith, who is the only god in monotheistic dwarven culture. Finally, those of you who listened to episode 17 will know that the cleric, Reynard of Harburg, used a knife to murder the priest, Kaelnoth. To be clear, ordained followers of the Nine are not permitted to use bladed weapons. This was, however, an intentional part of the narrative, and maybe at some point we will discover the consequence of Reynard's actions. I think that's enough law for now. Let's get back to the story. Chapter 21, Part 2, Day 26, Late Morning, Party Status, Beric, 23 out of 23 hit points, Lena, 10 out of 16 hit points, Kia, 10 out of 10 hit points, Valen, 11 out of 11 hit points, Spells available, Valen has memorized, Push, Shield, and Soothe. Lena can pray for two first level miracles. Pale daylight and the sound of rain filtered through the tall windows of the Great Hall, where the companions had now gathered, along with Brannock, Lord Conwyn, and an imposing man as tall and broad as Beric, called Canute. He had a wild mane of blonde hair and a long beard that was plaited into forks, and upon his thick, tattooed arms, he wore many arm rings. Whilst the man was clearly a foreigner by his accent, he had been introduced as the commander of Lord Cormwyn's house carls, though it was plain that he held Brannock in high regard. Following the events of the previous night, Lena had been too shaken to pray for a miracle, and so, without reluctance, she permitted Valen to lay his hands upon her to soothe her passage to sleep. The mage had awoken Beric and Keir, and the two men had raised the alarm what Valen remained by the cleric's side, lest more enemies were abroad. Canute had been commanded by Lord Conwyn to secure the fortress, and it was during this task that Redwald had been found slain, stabbed through the bars of his cell, along with a soldier who had been on guard in the dungeon. The bodies of Redwald and the assassin now lay upon a table before the assembled party. What do we know? Conwyn demanded, addressing Canute. The guard was killed with a garrote and the prisoner suffered a single stab wound. Kadut reported. That alone would not have killed him, so the blade was likely poisoned. He was close to the bars, as though he thought his killer was a friend. He nodded towards the body of the assassin. As for this piece of filth, he was taken on as a servant but a few days ago. By whom? Kadut looked uneasy, as if he knew the answer would not please his liege. Enion, Lord. Mordgren's breath! exclaimed Conwyn, thumping the table. How many times must I suffer for my charity? My lord, I beg you, do not speak their name in vain, Lena chided. Forgive me, sister, I spent too long in the company of fighting men. Conwyn shot Brannock a glance, and the older man grinned. What is this charity you speak of, Lord? Beric asked. Conwyn paused 
perhaps considering whether or not to answer the question or deciding if the big man was impertinent. He must have decided it was harmless, for he finally answered. Genion is my father's bastard, whelped upon a peasant girl before he married my mother. Does that not make him a threat? Some would say so. Branach here has oft advised me to kill him, but I say Enyon has not the wit to make mischief, and besides, my father was fond of him. And my advice stands, Lord, Branach stated. Conwyn smiled grimly. No, Enyon is harmless, and he would have been easy to dupe. Well, Beric said, what we do know is that this man was not a member of the Brethren. How so? Beric walked over to Redwall's body and pulled up the sleeve of his left arm. All the brethren we have encountered thus far have borne a tattoo like so, Lord. The warrior nodded to the assassin's corpse. But he has no such mark. Nah, but he does have this. Kier, who was examining the assassin's body, said without looking up. The rogue had turned the man's head, or what was left of it, to the side, revealing the nape of the neck upon which was a small tattoo of a scorpion. What does that mean? Valen asked. I do like to use tattoos to mark clandestine factions in my games, as the players at my live table know all too well. I think it's possible that Kier may have come across this mark before, so I'm going to make an intelligence test for the rogue to see whether he recognises it. Keir's intelligence is 12, meaning he needs to roll equal or less than that. A 4. Okay then. Keir looked up at the mage. It means he was a professional. Not some common thug, the rogue replied. And you'd need money to hire someone like this. Proper money. But who would want me dead? Lena asked in dismay. It all points to the brethren, Vela replied. They sent Redwall to capture me, and you were able to learn his secrets. That makes you a threat. We know the brethren took my master's amulet and I believe it holds one of the five jewels from Vortigern's crown. If they are seeking the jewels, and if they reunite them... Then the land will be cursed once again, Lena said, finishing the mage's sentence. Yes. So we had better find them before they do, Beric interjected. And if we can, we must destroy them. Fair enough said Kier. Where do we start? We need to learn more about the mages to whom the jewels were entrusted. Well then, you must go to Innis Gwyn, Lord Conwyn offered. Who is that, Lord? Not who. Where? Beric looked confused. A monastery, the oldest in Powernmore. Lord Conwyn explained. The monks of the Holy Island have been keeping a history of this land for centuries. If any record exists of these mages, you will find it there.
Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. If you like what you've heard, then please consider giving it a positive review in your podcatcher of choice. It really does help the show reach new listeners. Once again, I need to shout out to my fantastic cast of voice actors. Returning to the show as the assassin is Jonathan Hardin from the brilliant Sojourners Awake podcast. Also returning to the show as Lord Conwyn is Che Webster, host of the Must Listen Roleplay Rescue podcast. And finally, playing the role of Canute is someone I have long wanted to have on the show and my mentor in this endeavour, John Cohen from the tour de force that is Tale of the Manticore. I'll drop links to Sojourners Awake, Roleplay Rescue and Tale of the Manticore in the show notes. You can also help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements or by recommending the show online or to a friend. I'd also love to know what you think of the show and I do respond to every message I receive. So with that in mind, you can contact me on Twitter at LegendBones, Mastodon at LegendBones at ttrpg-hangout.social Instagram at LegendOfTheBones Email at LegendOfTheBones at gmail.com or go to LegendOfTheBones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, art, maps and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Hello, I'm Maddie Searle, the host of A Game of One's Own, an actual play podcast for Snazzy Tapir Productions. This show is all about telling stories using solo and two-player role-playing games. Expect an eclectic mix of science fiction tales, fantasy fables, and horror stories based on games from the most innovative indie designers. I will be documenting the process of playing each game from start to finish, with a few special guests along the way. I am so excited to explore these games with you. Let's tell some weird stories. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your app of choice so you have access to the next episode as soon as it's released. You can follow the show on Twitter at A Game of One's Own or find us on our website at snazzytapier.com.